Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Before I forget, that theme song is by my good friend Vessa from the Lower East Side. Uh, thank you, Vessa, for giving us that theme song. What's up? Welcome to the Week in Review. My name is Jack Inslee, the executive producer here, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Aaron Fairbanks, executive director of Heritage Radio. What's up, Aaron? Oh, man. You know, feeling good. Feeling great. <laughs> Ready to go. I do like how you refer, you're like from the Lower East Side. I'm like, oh, what country, city, county is that? You're like, uh, what, you don't know? <laughs> World? The LES. The LES, up in the LES, very New York centric. It has its own, uh, it has its own currency. There's the LES. a zip code. There's a zip code. There's books written about it. The Lower East Side neighborhood of Manhattan. <laughs> it sounds less cool New now. York city. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I made I it less cool. Well, if you're listening to this for the first time, um, this is where we distill a week's worth of programming into one 25-minute digestible chunk, or we try our best to do that. Um, of course, Heritage Radio Network has over 35 weekly shows covering like food, beverage, agriculture, and all the things in between. So a lot to kind of cram into one little week in review here. And how we like to start these things is by reviewing our last great bite. Aaron, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Well, uh, as we were traveling um, over the course of the last week down in Charleston, I didn't do my usual kind of Saturday or Sunday cooking marathon where I prep my meals for the week. So I was forced to go to the freezer and I pulled out a um, Tupperware container full of soup that I could not recognize or remember making. And it turned out to be delicious. I didn't look delicious, uh, but it was a beef and emmer stew that I put together, I guess, sometime this past fall. And it was kind of interesting to like go back and, and think about the, the mood I was in when I made that soup. But honestly, it was weird because I didn't remember it by looking or by container. But when I tasted it, I was like, ah, yes, all the components of this like come together for me. Mm. I, uh, I, I similarly have been kind of uh, hit by the travel curveball, and my, my week of eating, well, let's see, was it a full week? I think this might still just make the week. <laughs> um, I, I've not had a great week of cooking at home, let's just say that, but I want to give a shout out to the clam chowder poutine that we, ah, all, in, we all enjoy yes. um, in Charleston, which was just like so obvious you know, uh, but just something I would have never thought of. And I could I could easily just enjoy that every Sunday morning for the rest of my life and be totally content. Well, yeah, that was at a brand new restaurant, The Darling, yes. um, co-owned by the stepbrother of one Jess Gomez, a, a Roberta's manager here um, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So it was a little funny to be, you know, down south and still feeling the, the Brooklyn and the Roberta's connection and eating poutine with clam chowder, which is a thing. I had no idea. It was delicious. There were also the um, the oyster shots, the shooters we had. We had oyster shooters. Those were great, too. Yeah, but I've had that before. Yeah. but The poutine, that's a game changer. Top notch. Um, all right. And with that, let's transition to the studio for some clips from the week. I'm going to 
shout out all the music this week. That's Knife Show, um, remixing Jade. Yeah, I'm just going to shout music out this week. Anyway, let's move to the studio. So many good things happening. Um, I do want to kick it off with uh, one more clip from... Uh, if you listened to last week's Week in Review, we were live at Charleston Wine and Food, though at that point we hadn't recorded anything yet. That was like when we were kicking off. So it was a, it was a pretty incredible weekend, and um, I, we, I think the highlight for me, I don't know about you, Aaron, was us playing Never Have I Ever, which was just... Full of surprises, unexpected moments, laughs, and um, and only one kind of raunchy sex question. Which, as far as you know, never have I ever goes. It, it was it was like it was tame and wild, but in a whole new, different way. You know, and I was wondering like how how far into the gutter we'd go, and we did a pretty good job of not going too deep. And and the one like salacious, sexy question was misinterpreted in, in a hilarious <laughs> way. Also, so we were joined by Blake Hartwick from Bonterra, Virginia Willis, who is an awesome, awesome chef and cookbook author, John Lewis from Lewis barbecue and of course Aaron myself and Allison Hamlin and this is a question that Allison asked the panel and let's let's see what happened never have I ever absconded with any restaurant utensils or glassware I've never stolen anything from a restaurant who has (laughs) (laughs) you guys that's not cool you gotta keep that you too Jack oh you're the worst Drink more. Drink, Drink more. more right now. Also, it's going to be your turn soon. So. Um, and anyone have a memorable absconsion to share? I would probably say a couple of um, Moscow mules and a couple more Moscow mules. And I'm walking out the door with a copper kettle cup in my hand. That's Oh, wow. I've got a pretty good collection, so... You know, you just act like you belong, walk out. Nobody's going to say anything, right? Oh, my gosh. That is a bold move. I was not expecting... You know, I'm thinking salt shakers, steak knives, I'm with you. Equal. Equal. Sweet and low. Sweet and low, yeah. Saltines. Saltines. Wait, 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 crackers. Tabasco, like individual... Oh, no, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Those are the best, yeah. Oh, man, load up. That's right. Wow, a panel full of thieves. <laughs> I also like. I'm gonna give props to myself for creating a new word, absconsion. I'm not sure that exists, but yeah, I like. It sounded I, smart. Leave it to Allison to phrase the question that way, right? <laughs> I feel like we were also uh, throwing down some of the bullet bourbon. And uh, some sweet tea, so things got fast and loose. Yeah, I kind of misunderstood the rules. I was just constantly sipping on my drink. Every time it was time to drink, I was like, what? I've just been doing this. I have to send props out to Virginia Willis, who was going with the, uh, you know, bourbon on the rocks. No tea. Hold the tea. Yeah. (laughs) Bourbon and sweet tea, hold the tea. Um, So anyway, we've got tons of that coverage on the website. All of the incredible panels that we did. Definitely check them all out, including that full Never Have I Ever. Tons of good laughs in there. And um, again, shout out to everybody at Charleston Wine and Food for hosting us and being so gracious. Um, The next clip this week is from What Doesn't Kill You, show hosted by Katie Kiefer. And she was joined by Leah Garcis on episode 184. Leah Garcis, of course, is the executive director of Compassion in World Farming. And uh, it was it was a really interesting conversation about cage free and how McDonald's is maybe trendsetting better egg production practices. Or uh, is that surprising? I don't know. Um, but Leah does go deep into this conversation, and I want to play a short little clip from that show. And this is Leah Garces. That you have 
egg-free egg layer flock is really is very rapidly increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, from from the fall of last year to the fall of the previous year, there's been um, a 37 percent increase, um, wow. more or less. And so it's rapidly, rapidly increasing. Um, and it, and you can see why when you have so you know some people would say, oh McDonald's, it's four percent of the market only. So what's the big deal? Right, right. So you have four percent of the market now is committing, is saying, telling, is giving, putting a megaphone out in the, in the market and saying. We're only going to buy cage-free eggs in 10 years, so you better start shifting. But that's not the only part that's important. So what we saw last week, for example, is we saw Kroger and all of its all of its banner brands go commit to make the same commitment to the same year. Now Kroger has about with all of its banner brands 12 percent of the market. Wow. So, and if you combine that with, let's say, also Del Hayes and all of its mm-hmm. banner brands last week and um, Target. Alberson Safeway, they made the same commitment. I mean, we're already looking with those three brands at you know at least a quarter of the market of the entire market with those three brands with McDonald's, with Kroger, uh, sorry, four brands, Del Hayes and uh-huh. Safeway. Um, Crazy. I, well, I also feel like when you hear like twenty five percent or a quarter of the market, you're like a quarter. Yeah, okay, that's not that much. We're talking about millions yeah. of eggs. The size millions of the market of is eggs. not small. This is no. This is not your grandma's egg basket. This is a big, big, big egg basket. And I, I love the work that they do over at Compassion and World Farming because I think one of the things they do really well is engage um, with pushing forward and and working with very large. Um, purchasers like McDonald's, like Kroger's, um, like Del Hayes and Safeway. Um, they're really engaging with, with the big purchasers, which means they can shift the market in, in really big ways really quickly. And the other thing I just want to point out here, um, I don't know if folks heard, but this shift is happening over the course of 10 years. Um, Jack, any guesses as to like, why, why such a long lead time? Oof. Putting you on the spot a little bit. I, I want to say money. Money, uh, kind of. Um, you know, eggs are produced by chickens. Um, and if they're produced by chickens who live in a cage, there's an entire kind of infrastructure behind that type of agriculture production. So if you're a farmer, it's not like tomorrow you can change over your entire right, system. Right. So the amount of time between like this transition is is really important. You have to give your producers a chance to switch over. You also have to think about how are they going to finance that transitional cost? Are they going to get paid more for these cage-free eggs or you know are we who are we asking? Is there like to bear? seed money for, uh, you know that do they get like a big amount of money up front to kind of make those changes or is it I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I think that though this is kind of the la- you know the laws of kind of modern day economics and supply and demand if you're an organization like mcdonald's who can flex that muscle i I think you flex it and people figure it out i don't think i I would be shocked if mcdonald's was writing checks to these farmers to help with the transition right and uh so i guess what you're saying is that uh you shouldn't go have a guilt-free egg sandwich at mcdonald's thinking it's cage-free right now well yeah, but more I'm saying when we're thinking about the you know demanding these changes from large scale producers, we have to kind of think through the whole system so that you know that's the thing with agriculture, in particular agriculture that involves livestock, is there's a whole infrastructure, there's a whole system there that's built up 
over years, if not decades. And so dismantling that, it's a thing. We have to have some tolerance for the time of that transition, and we have to have um, you know, the ability to support farmers as they transition. We'll definitely listen to the full episode because that's just really the tip of the iceberg in terms of the conversation they had. Um, Katie always goes really deep with her guests and she's got a new segment on her show. She's opening every show with what she calls aches and pains. Uh-oh. Where she lists kind of like, uh, the aches and pains in the news, uh, an ache being something kind of like new and in the news and a pain being something that's just been going on and continues to go on so she's doing great work with what doesn't kill you definitely check that podcast out let's transition to another protein my favorite fish <laughs> and uh i know you love this guest erin yuji oh, haraguchi fangirl oh yeah of Okin- okonomi and yuji ramen um formerly worked in the kitchen here at Roberta's, which is actually where the whole idea for Yuji Ramen came about with him and Tara Norvell working here back at Roberta's. So he was the guest on episode 35 of Japan Eats, of course, our show about Japanese food and culture hosted by Akiko Katayama. And this is actually a clip mostly of Akiko um, kind of making the case for fish, which is like, I'm an easy sell on this one, but let's listen to what she has to say. So, I mean, basically, the fish is good because there is uh, omega-3 fatty acids, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, there are two types of omega-3 fatty acids in fish, like EPA, in, typically in sardine and DHA, in mackerel, mm. like really umami-rich fish, and, uh, and also good, uh, full of vitamin D, mm-hmm. and a low in, uh, of course, of omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids that's low in those fish, and also... Um, there is a number, 2009 figure uh, per consumption, uh, the, uh, per, per country consumption of fish. So Japan was 120 p- uh, pounds per year per person, and the U.S. it's 52 pounds per year per person. So uh, Japanese people eat more than double. Mm. And uh, I was looking at uh, the life expectancy number, which is 2013 data. So Japan, male, it's average 84, the male 80, female 87 years old, and the U.S. Uh, 79 years old average, and male 76, and female 81. And there's a correlation between uh, the consumption of fish and the life expectancy. So Japan, Iceland, Norway, Spain, all they have longer life expectancy, and they are top consumption mm. of fish. So we should eat fish. Eat fish live longer. <laughs> <laughs> I had to drop a bomb on that one. <laughs> so eat fish, live longer. <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, yeah, you just got kind of a cool Kickstarter going on right now. Um, is looking to launch a new Japanese style fish market, um, which I think is going to be super cool. I love too that they shout out sardines here. I think when you're thinking about fish, people get confused really quickly about like what to eat or where and how. And you know, eating lower on the food chain is great, but also one of the only natural sources of vitamin D because you eat the bones. Um, vitamin D is kind of like integral to so many different like functions in your body and your health and your mood and your vibe. And there's so few places to get it aside from the sun i mean you can eat lard but i had a like, real deficiency once yeah, i had to be prescribed like really intense vitamin d pills that's why they put it in milk so that it's like mm. basically like a population level dosage um but you can also get it in more delicious ways not that milk isn't delicious but i mean sardines are pretty delicious pretty interesting though though that's a bold claim there huh eat fish live longer 
hey, um, I'm willing to try. I'm, I'm for science. On it. I'm doing my part for science. Trust me. Um, well, that was the that was the weekend clips, and with that, we are going to move into the breakdown, and we've got a a real family member and friend this week. So let's transition over. <laughs> Another night, another knife show beat. Shame, shameless plug. That's me and Rectech. I'm amped. Plug, plug, um, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> really thrilled to welcome um, our our longtime friend and HRN colleague, um, and the brand new, brand spanking new associate editor of TasteTalks.com, Talia ooh, Ralph. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Talia, thanks Hi, for joining guys. us. Um, thanks for having me. Talia, also full disclosure, used to have a very fun show on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, you can still find it in our archives. It was called Pizza Party. And really, if you are a pizza head, which let's face it, who's not? Um, definitely worth skimming through the 14 episodes there and taking a journey um, in the wild and wacky world of pizza. But we have Talia on today because we want to talk about the project that she's been involved with over at Taste Talks. Um, you guys just launched a brand new website, www.tastetalk.com, um, and I want to hear all about it. But before we get there, maybe you can help folks who are not familiar with Taste Talks with a little bit of a, a background on who you guys are and what are the types of things that you do. Sure. Well, people who do know Taste Talks may know us as a festival. We're a multi-day, now multi-city fest series in Brooklyn, Chicago, and as of this year, L.A., which is really exciting. Um, And it's really dedicated to covering the future of taste. So what's next in the food world, but also taste more generally. And so the spirit of the site is really in that same vein of just looking at where food and culture overlap, sort of this, like, great little middle of the Venn diagram where, yes, we have food and we have all of this great food coverage and so much attention being paid, as you guys, of course, know, being Heritage Radio. Um, But we really look at sort of the intersection of where food is overlapping with music, with art, with design, with political conversations that are Um, relevant to sort of like a young plugged-in audience that cares about food but also realizes that there's a lot more going on um, than just, you know, great restaurants or talking about chefs and all these things are really exciting, but we are, um, we're sort of expanding that to to really focus on the overlap. So, yeah. That's awesome. And we do, I mean, we do have another kind of uh, Taste Talks alum in the HRN lineup. Sarah Zorn did, a, I think, 12-show run yeah. last summer. Kind of, if, So if you want to get a little taste of the types of conversations you might find at the festival, you can check that out. But I want to jump into some of the stuff on the website because I feel like um, I'm like, does the world really need another food-based website? Fair question. <laughs> Fair question. Yeah, um, welcome, welcome to my struggle <laughs> every day as the editor of a new food website. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think what um, what's missing the gap we're trying to fill is getting people that are not food people excited and interested and into the conversation. So one of 
my favorite things on the site right now, which is actually a, a pizza party connection, is this series. It's a video series we have called Pizza Pals, and it's with Colin Hagendorf, who was one of my early guests on the show. It's a really amazing sort of like self-described feminist crust punk rocker from New York City who ate a dollar slice at every slice place on the island of Manhattan, wrote a great memoir about it. And so we have him interviewing his favorite musicians in the sort of indie food space. And they're going to pizza places and they're talking about food memories and their feelings about food, but they're just also talking about music and art and, you know, what it means to interact in the space. The first guest is Meredith Graves of Perfect Pussy, who's amazing and very, you know, involved in the food space, but also is a musician. And so just sort of showing these complexities or that there are a lot of people in the world that care a lot about food, but that's not all that they do. And that's not the only perspective that they're bringing. Um, I think that's really what we're dedicated to is bringing creative people, bringing political people, bringing innovators, bringing tech people really into the food conversation in a way that um, is expansive and can give people a more well-rounded sense of, you know, why this matters and how this affects them. Yeah, Talia, there are a lot of cool articles here on on the kind of first wave and, uh, you know, stuff like this this wine costs more than your rent and here are the new food trends but i'm really interested in in some of the other stuff here like this this article on the on on refugees and food being the way home so tell me a little bit more Mm -hmm. about that yeah well i mean i have a, a food policy background as you guys know and so i think that there's um there's a lot going on in sort of the food policy and social activism space that sometimes gets lost, but the refugee crisis is just, it's on the front page every day. It's something that is literally reshaping our entire world, and yet um, we don't hear a lot about the day-to-day experiences. And so this writer basically did an overview of just a few programs. You know, there are many more that we didn't get to, but some of the big and really impactful programs or initiatives going on in the United States right now to integrate refugees into, you know, resettled lives in the United States through food. So whether it's cooking, you know, cooking businesses, whether it's teaching how to cook, whether it's farming in Vermont or other rural settings, um, just sort of looking, again, at a really big, you know, overwhelming political issue and bringing it back to the food space and and seeing how, yeah, this is really a meaningful way that people can feel comfortable, feel settled, start to rebuild their lives. Um, And so that story, again, speaks really nicely, I think, to what we're trying to do at Taste Talks, which is just bringing bringing people back to the table, you know, um, whether it's a refugee or you know, a cool musician, baker in New York City. Um, We're really interested in in hearing from all of those people. Well, I would say, too, on the flip side of that, uh, I like the piece you guys did on uh, Steve Hindi, the founder of Brooklyn Brewery, um, you know, where you're getting a little bit of, like, the other things that these, like, big people in food and drink are interested in. Um, And uh, I love his quote, uh, when you ask like what good taste means to him, and he says, "Taste means never having to say you're sorry." <laughs> like, 
Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite series. It's really a quick hit. Like the people that we're getting for that, we also have Rebecca Minkoff, who's a great fashion designer. Oh, I love her. Yeah, um, we're getting non-food people to talk about food and food people. Yeah, like Steve Hindi really credits his his wife with his sense of fashion, which I also think is wonderful and adorable. And yeah, you know, like I I think there's a real move just in the world of media in general to be more inclusive and more holistic and really kind of get at the nuance of the situation. And while I'm not going to stand here and say that like a 10 question interview with someone about taste, it's going to give you a full picture. It does kind of give you a more well-rounded sense of who these people are and they become three-dimensional and they're not just oh, Steve Hendy just knows about beer, and that's the only thing he can speak to, you know, or Rebecca Minkoff just knows how to make great purses and, you know, also has really strong feelings about being a traveling mom and eating with her family, you know. So um, I'm really excited to, again, bridge that gap in both ways. It, it goes back and forth in this really dynamic, fun setting that, you know, we're lucky to get to do on Taste Talks. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm a big Steve Hindi fan. He's a long Longtime supporter, too, of Transportation Alternatives, the, uh, you know, organization in New York that helps us bikers get around safely. Well, I have one more question. I'm going to throw you back to Jack. Can yes. you tell us about the Spotify playlist? Again, this intersection. What is up? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, T-Sox is under the umbrella of Northside Festival, which I'm sure you guys know very well. Awesome, you know. I play that free, Mostly, yes, yeah. <laughs> Humble brag. Not, not um, so humble. <laughs> so music is really in our blood at Northside, and we thought, just like, what a great way. Again, when you're, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in a restaurant, I am always paying attention to what's playing, and I have such like, weird, interesting memories of what music was on while I was eating, or you know, when I'm cooking, what I want to listen to. And so we thought, again, once we already like have these people on the line, whether they're a chef or a you know, founder of a brewery or a designer, you know, what are they listening to and what's inspiring them? And we also, you know, I've been having a lot of fun just sort of building out our playlists that are based on our fest cities. Um, we have an awesome hip hop for foodies playlist because there's such a, you know, rich and amazing overlap in hip hop with, um, you know, food and drink references. And yeah, so it just, it just made really organic sense for us as a brand and as a site to expand into this great social platform where people are, are sharing music because music and food, you know, they go hand in hand. Preach, preach, preach. Um, Talia, I want to ask you one more thing. Speaking, uh, you know, speaking of music, uh, South by Southwest, definitely something that we usually associate with music, but, uh, the food component and the food discussion component of South by is growing tremendously. I was really interested about the, the kind of trend predictions that you made on the website here with, uh, edible bugs, heirloom grains and regional Mexican cuisine. What's going on with South by? Are you, are you all going to be there? Yeah, yeah, I am not going to be out there, but we are sending our festival director, our publisher, um, so Will Levitt, who's our amazing festival director, has been putting Taste Talk together for the beginning, and he's sitting on an amazing South Bites panel, which is the South by Southwest food programming, um, with a great moderator from Vice, with the head of branding at Whole Foods, with, you know, the global director of this really sort of savvy, ahead-of-the-game trend uh trend and branding firm, just sort of talking about, you know, what does it mean to be a food trend? What does it take? Why does it matter? And I think that conversation is really interesting because, again, sometimes in the food world, we sort of, you know, our eyes are on our plates and what's right in front of us. But 
I, I think this conversation is going to be great because it's going to blow that up into, you know, why does it matter? Is food itself a trend? Is this interest <laughs> waning? Um, or is it something that we're going to need to be paying attention to? And if so, why? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the trend predictions are super fun, but I think for anybody at South by, that's going to be a really amazing conversation to listen to because it's really going to put in context, yeah, these like, oh, you know, bone broth, kale, Brussels sprouts, why do things sort of come into and out of um, our, our diets and our, our culture and food the way they do. So Absolutely. I'm excited to hear back. We're going to be recapping that on the site, so for anyone who missed it, they can come back and, and check out what happened there. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be great and, and makes tons of sense at South By. So. For sure. And that's on Saturday, that panel. So if you are in town and you're sticking around through Monday, uh, Heritage Radio, myself and Snacky Tunes, uh, Darren Bresnitz actually of Snacky Tunes, we will be co-hosting five panels uh, at the Driscoll with with a crazy amount of, of, of great guests, including Helen Rosner from Eater, James Hamblin from The Atlantic, um, Alex Stupak from Empeon, and, and a bunch of others. We're doing food and pop culture, design and food, modern food reporting. The spice is right and the real cost of food. So we are stoked to be there. Hopefully, um, maybe I can cross paths with some of the Taste Talks folks, and that would be really cool. But, Talia, you are doing really incredible work. They are very, very, very lucky to have you. We can all say that from experience here, of course. And uh, I believe it's Taste Talks on Twitter and TasteTalks.com. Listeners, you should definitely check the stuff out. There's plenty there to dig into. And, Talia, thank you so much for joining us on this Week in Review. Thanks for having me. Have so much fun at South by. Well, you know I will. And uh, with that, <laughs> we are going to transition into big ups. All right. One last music plug. That is the band Big Ups, whose floor I will be sleeping on at South by Southwest. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe and Carlos, for so graciously giving me your floor. Um, this is the part of the program where we like to big up uh, people and places and things and, and what have you uh, that, that deserve to be big upped. Um, I'm going to kick it off, actually, and this is this will only really make sense to us, I guess, but I really want to big up our uh, high school intern, Malcolm Fisher, who's been like just such a, a rock star here over the past few weeks for a kid that's in high school. Uh, there's this incredible program at a high school called ICE, which is in uh, right around by Union Square, and uh, these kids get to spend an, their entire last semester of their senior year of high school um, doing an internship. Our first intern, of course, was Declan Christenberry, who was also amazing and sort of set the precedent in the bar for this program and Malcolm is our second intern from that program and he's just doing such a wonderful job here in the studio and uh, in the organization so I just want to send a big ups to Malcolm yay Malcolm yeah I can second that bigs up big, 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 bigs ups big, big, big. yes um, I want to mine is a little bit more serious um, I suspected as much I've, uh, I want to send out a big ups for one of my train trainers at Henzo Gracie, um, Elijah, the mayor, Clark. Um, uh, Elijah is an amazing uh, trainer, an incredibly talented fighter, an incredibly generous person. He um, donated his, his time for a Charity Buzz um, auction item that we did this past fall, and, and it's just generally like awesome to be around. And 
you know, he shared on his social media feed last week this like really disturbing story. Um, he was on his way back from a training session out in Hoboken and on the PATH train, and this man walked up to him. And I guess before I tell you this, I should explain. Elijah is about, uh, I think, 6'4", 210-pound, uh, mohawked, black man, uh, fighter. Uh, you know, he's a professional Muay Thai fighter. Hell of a smile, though. Oh, yeah. Um, and a gentleman on the train um, looked at him, called him a monkey, started making monkey noises at him and um, shouted to him that, you know, Trump doesn't like black people. Oh. And, um, you know, I just... This went on... This you know, is in New York? Yeah. yeah, yeah, coming back on the path train from Hoboken. Mm. So, so you know, um, I, I just thought it was so um, great of Elijah to, to share this story in the way that he did, you know. Um, the guy heckled him for about 15 minutes. Um, and as someone who's been, like, the, the victim of street harassment for, like, 30 seconds to 90 seconds, I can't even imagine being subjected to something like this for the course of 15 minutes. And much to his credit, um, you know, Elijah just ignored the guy, just stood there, um, held his ground, didn't respond, didn't engage, and um, then decided to kind of share this story about what had happened to him with the people in his community. And um, I thought it was super brave to share that. And I, I think also just a really poignant reminder of um, you know, what people are facing out there in the world every day and kind of some of the threats of some of the, the current discourse um, in our political climate and the real impacts that has on, on real people, like real people in, in my life. So um, just, you know, it was a huge bummer to hear and a huge uh, kind of like inspiration to see um, Elijah stand like that and, and to share that story. And so that's my big ups. Um, you can check him out, Elijah, the Mayor Clark. He's actually going to be fighting um, Friday Night Fights. Uh, so if you're here in New York City, March 25th, you can go and see what it looks like when he is not standing quietly. <laughs> um, this guy, I think, you know, was lucky. He, it could have been bad that's for him. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, been real bad. very, very kind of Elijah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, big ups to Elijah. Yes, big ups to Elijah. Um, wow, yeah. Sobering. Um, and with that... Serious note, this has been the Week in Review with myself, Jack Inslee, and of course, Aaron Fairbanks, the Executive Director. If you like what you hear, if you want to share anything with us, we are very excited to hear from you. Where uh, You can email us, info at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on Twitter, heritage underscore radio. Instagram, the same, heritage underscore radio. We really encourage you to get in touch. This show is still in its infancy, so give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. It's available on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere else, uh, including heritageradionetwork.org. We will see you all next week. And again, if you're at South by Southwest, please stop by and say hello to me. Um, That's it. That's it. That's all we got. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.